All right, you absolute legends. Welcome back to another episode of A Need to Read. I'm very pleased to finally be talking about what is one of my favourite books. I've read it two and a half times now, and it's Selfie by Will Storr, which is an exploration of the self and how us in the West, assuming that you're listening to this in the West, if you're listening in the East, then what's up? Hello, how are you doing? How we've become so self-obsessed and the origins of that how that's sort of being shown in modern life and how we can deal with it going forward because being self-obsessed, not necessarily a good thing. I'm sure if you know people who are full-blown self-obsessed, they're probably not the best people that you know. I often worry maybe that I'm a little bit self-obsessed and, I mean, I actually spend quite a lot of time worrying about that. And this is something that Will covers in the book, which I'll touch on in a moment, that I really enjoyed his like vulnerability and honesty. I think Will Storr, as a writer, is probably one of the best out there and the way that he manages to tell such good story with his writing is just super impressive i've loved his other books you can hear him on the conversation i had with him about his other book the status game but for today we'll just have a look at selfie before we get into that this podcast is of course sponsored by BetterHelp. now if you are one of those people whose mental health is not quite where you would like it to be at the moment Fear not, there are lots of options for you. There are plenty of things you can do to increase your overall sense of well-being and therapy is one of the probably more helpful things you can do. It's facing reality, it's having a look at your problems objectively with a professional who can guide you with the right questions, hopefully make you come to some realisations. I've had profound benefits from therapy and I know countless people who have as well, including quite a few I need to read listeners. So if you're thinking about giving it a go, head to betterhelp.com forward slash a need to read and you can get 10% off your first month all you have to do is run through a quick questionnaire once you've done that you match with a therapist within 48 hours you could be chatting to someone and on a path to hopefully a little bit more of a tranquil existence that isn't plagued by negativity and ill mental health because let's face it when your mental health isn't good it just seems like nothing else is good so sort it out if you're in that position betterhelp.com forward slash a need to read on another note, I send emails out every week. You might like to hear from me via email. You might not. If you do, there's a link in the description for that as well. But with that out of the way, let's have a chat about this book. So I first read this book just after I spoke to Will for the podcast about the status game because whilst doing the research, I'd, I'd stumbled across the book. I hadn't seen it before. And the subtitle of How the West Became Self-Obsessed, that drew me in. I do have this kind of thought process that maybe there are more narcissists now than there ever were before that is actually statistically that i can i can support that with statistics it's not just a a gut feeling there are more people who think they are god's fucking gift to the world and let's face it they're not they're just people imperfect people so to understand how the west has become self-obsessed Will Storr went on a bit of a journey. Explorative journalism, I love these types of books. Johan Hari, Will Storr, they all do a phenomenal job of of sort of painting a picture of modern day society and an issue within that. And self-obsession and narcissism is huge in our current society. We have to understand, though, that this hasn't always been the case. We are not genetically predisposed to being narcissists. We're not always trying to be self-obsessed tribes that we would have been in a long time ago that was that was more of a community centric thing people in the east are far more centered around community than we are in the west it is kind of a western phenomenon this narcissism epidemic that we're going through and that 
what Will goes into. So, The Dying Self is the first chapter of this book. I'm just going to pull a few bits from each of the chapters just to hopefully convince you to read this book because for me it was life-changing. If you listen to this podcast long enough, you know it doesn't take much to change my life, but this book was certainly one of those things. He starts off with the story of a woman's suicide attempt. And in quite an endearing fashion, he actually talks with his admiration for people who go through with it. I think he himself has, has struggled with suicide or has entertained the thought of doing it probably more than once. And he actually speculates that people hide this kind of inclination to think, fuck it, I could just end it all more than than they'd let on. I think, well... I talk very openly about my mental health and I think people find that quite shocking because they're not used to people talking about it. Um, But just a note on this, if you do talk openly about your mental health, usually that kind of vulnerability is infectious and other people start opening up as well. That's my opinion. How we can get people to open up is by firstly leading with vulnerability yourself. That was a side note from the book. Let's get back to the glorious subject of suicide. He speaks to a Dr. Con Metropolis, and he links suicidal thoughts to perfectionism. He reckons that people put a lot of pressure on themselves to sort of be successful in something, or they think that anything is possible. And life, of course, isn't like that. So there's, there's two types of perfectionism. So there's narcissistic perfectionism and there's neurotic perfectionism. I would say I used to sit in the neurotic perfectionism um, camp, I'm out of perfectionism now because of reading this book and seeing how kind of dangerous it can be for people. But the neurotic uh, perfectionism is low self-esteem, people who feel they're never going to measure up. And the narcissistic perfectionism is people who have high self-esteem who think that they can do anything. You only have to open your social media to see people who are pretending to be narcissistic perfectionists but really are probably neurotic perfectionists. Um that is speculation that isn't in the book i'm just i'm i'm making a stab in the dark there but this whole perfectionism being linked to suicide like that is it's it's not good that should be alarm bells enough to be like right i'm going to work on on sort of letting go of this perfectionist idea that i have about the world he speaks to a guy called professor rory o'connor who works in glasgow researching suicide he says that the decision to kill yourself of course is a bit of a psychological phenomenon it's it's been around for a long time. It's, it's not a new phenomenon, but it is a phenomenon. To obliterate the self, to end the self, is a decision that surely can't come lightly, right? And he links perfection with it strongly as well. He says a lot of people, they're just setting the bar for perfection way too high and they fail to reach it. And they feel that part of their self is lost in the pursuit of perfectionism or in the failure to reach perfection. It's at that point People feel lost. People feel where to turn. There could be people listening to this right now who have, who have had thoughts of killing themselves and they'll be thinking, well, that's not how I think. This is just based on data. Of course, there has to be room for nuance. Everyone is individual. But we do live in a society where data matters and this is this is kind of what I'm talking about here. On the subject of data, here are some things that are quite shocking. 61% of 11 to 21-year-olds in the UK I think it was in 2018 or 2019, maybe 2017 when this book was written, felt that they needed to be perfect. And since social media has been introduced to the world, there has been a rise of 30% in eating disorders and body dysmorphia. So correlation may not mean causation there. We don't know that. 
but a 30% rise in eating disorders and body dysmorphia it's, it's not a small amount that's a third more people almost every year having some form of like problem eating habits or problem with their body image that's not okay and body dysmorphia would be an extreme of body image issues right I think people with body image issues would be a far greater number than those who actually reach the, the body dysmorphic kind of levels Here's another interesting statistic. Self-harm has doubled in between the year 2000 and the year 2014. That's terrible, right? How there is something wrong with society to the point that it has doubled over a 14-year period. That's not okay. This is where perfectionism, we need to drop it. If you've got kids, you've got people around you, don't try and make them perfect. No one's ever going to be perfect. We need to get used to this idea. Um so the, the dying self of this chapter, he looks at the phenomenon of, of suicide. It's very interesting. And I think if you're one of those people who is a little bit neurotic or you're a neurotic perfectionist or maybe even you're a narcissistic perfectionist, if you were, you probably wouldn't even register me saying that you are or you might be. So please read the book or at least the first chapter because it's quite important to realise just how dangerous perfectionism can be for someone. The next chapter in the book is about the tribal self and how we sort of connect to the people in our society and 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 in our culture more so than on an individual basis he talks about the ways that nowadays we're fetishizing celebrities we think the celebrities are fucking amazing george foreman who's a boxer people think he knows everything about grills so george foreman grills sell loads and psychologists actually call this the paris hilton effect which is where we basically think people who are pretty and good uh are well, maybe Paris Hilton's not good, but people who are pretty know more. That's not how it works. If you get given good-looking genes, it doesn't automatically mean that you're intelligent. I don't know if uh, if anyone needs to hear that, but if you're really, really handsome and you don't think you're that smart, read some books. It's possible to, to transcend the stupidity levels. Um, but yeah, so in, in the tribal self, I'm not going to spend too much time on, on this, but he speaks about how much we are in tribes with ourselves and our brains are automatically recognise things like age, gender and race. That is the first things we recognise about another person. So people trying to trick each other with how old they are. I'm not going to touch on gender and race, but that's what we recognise initially about people. Babies up until the year of two actually up until they're two years old, actually prefer people of their own race. So if you've got a baby at the end of the age two, you've got yourself a racist right there. Obviously, that's satire. But you get what I mean. We as people attach to the people in our tribes. So part of ourself is being part of a tribe. And I think you see this all the time on activism online. People are so attached to these online tribes that they're in, essentially, that they lose track of who they are as a person. So in the next chapter, you go back to perfectionism or more the fact that we are perfectible as people. He talks about the ancient Greek idea of kalakagathia, which essentially they thought people being beautiful was synonymous with good. Back to the celebrity thing I was speaking about a moment ago. So it's kind of like us, right? We, as a society, feel that pretty people or attractive people have something worth value to say. Not always the case. Not always the case. And we have to kind of realise that, right? Just because someone's handsome doesn't mean they're smart. Um, but the the word and the origins of the word is callous, meaning good, 
Kai meaning and, and agathos meaning good. So, Kalakagathia. It's quite a cool word. If you want to take anything away from this pod- podcast, just let it be Kalakagathia. So, that started in Greece, and Greece is the starting hub for all Western philosophy, pretty much. Uh, it's very I and me centric and individualism, essentially, that has come from people like Aristotle, who spoke of the perfectible self. It's given us something to aim for, really, to be self-sufficient and, and to be reliable. And we essentially put ourselves at the centre of a story, and this is an idea that Will took further in the science of storytelling, is that we are the main character and everyone else is a fringe player in the big game of life. We think we're different to everyone else. We think we're special. This is an idea that has been planted in our heads. Of course we are different. Of course there are individual like nuance between people. But we're not that different. No one's really that special. And I know that that's not a sexy thing to say or to hear. And you wouldn't believe the lack of engagement if I ever touch on the fact that people aren't special on Instagram, people don't like to hear it. I personally find it quite liberating to know that I'm not special. I'm literally just a person who does a thing, much like everyone else is a person who does a thing in the world. I think it's very easy to fall into a trap of thinking that you are a hero uh, in life. I do understand that there are people out there who think, oh my God, I'm the fucking devil in my life and they could probably do with thinking they're the hero for a bit. But for most of us who have this relatively like neutral kind of self-image and it's, it's not positive, it's not negative, you kind of sit in the middle, we're not special, right? And and we should know that. There are seven like billion of us. That's not rare. That's just a lot of people. So from the... It's, it's quite a natural progression to go from Greek philosophy... Stoics. I've I've spoken about Stoics before, and I and I and I love Stoicism as an idea. It's natural to go from there to Christianity, Catholicism, and Will tells a story in the book where he goes to a monastery in Scotland, and he was grown up as a Catholic, has Catholic guilt. Catholic guilt is something I've only just started to learn about. Um, asked my dad about it. He's Catholic. He said Catholic guilt was real when he was young. I'm sure any of my Irish uh, listeners at the moment will understand what Catholic guilt is. Um, But it's essentially the idea that I think Catholicism, from my understanding, thinks that we're all inherently a little bit bad and the only way to become good is to surrender yourself to God and to talk to God. I could be getting that completely wrong. I'm I'm not that inclined to look into it so much. But Will Storr luckily was. And he went to a monastery uh, in Scotland where people essentially just donate themselves to the Lord and they do a lot of work in the daytime and they eat pretty shitty food but their whole day is centred around prayer and hymns and being godly. Doesn't sound like my kind of party but Will went there just to kind of see what Catholicism can offer in terms of a basis for the self pushed on by self-esteem. It doesn't seem like in Catholicism that that's the case. God is at the top of the rung and, and you are below God from, from what I understand. So they have escaped this hard like selfish set like Western idea that the self is special and the I and me very special. And this whole idea that people are inherently bad that's like from Catholicism, this echoes into people like Freud, Freud's work. I don't know how much you know about Freud. I thought he was just some some psychologist who thinks that 
people want to shag their mums and kill their dads. I didn't realise he got that idea from a myth. And also, his family tree is all over the place. I'm pretty sure his dad went out with someone who was the same age or younger than him. There was a lot of problems there, but he coined the term the Oedipus Complex, which he basically thinks people want to kill their dad, shag their mums, and vice versa, if you're a girl. That comes from the myth of Oedipus. The myth of Oedipus is essentially an old story, very old, and specifically a story, not real. It tells of a guy called Oedipus, weirdly enough, and he has a prophecy against his name. And the prophecy is that at some point in his life, he will kill his dad and sleep with his mother. Not the kind of thing you want to be told about your son when he's just born, I'm pretty sure. So his parents, when he was born, took him into the wood, left him there, thought, fuck this, I'm not having this kid, um, if he's going to cause me that amount of bother. Of course, he was found by another family, taken to a town nearby. And as he grew up, he kind of realised maybe there was this prophecy and it was about him, so he didn't want to kill his dad or shag his mum. So he left town, went to a neighbouring town nearby, £10 if you can guess where that town was. It was the town of where he was originally born. And on his way into this town, so ironically, you couldn't write it, he ran into his old father and got into a tussle, killed him. Ended up going into the town and marrying the person who was his original birth mother. So the prophecy came true. Really, that story isn't about shagging your mum and killing your dad. It's more about you cannot escape certain things in life. There are certain things that you cannot run away from. That's that's the general gist of the tale. Freud, I mean, he's obviously far smarter than I am, right? I believe he misinterpreted that story. And if you look into Freud's life, it doesn't actually seem like he was that sound of a person. He wasn't that kind. Of course, he was revolutionary in the psychology world, but doesn't seem like he was the nicest person ever. So after he'd been to this monastery and, and had a look at Catholicism, I'll let you read that part of the book, because if I'm honest, I can't remember what the whole general gist of that was. So it may have been pointless me even bringing it up in the first place, but we'll roll with it anyway. In terms of West and East, and, I, and I've covered this a little bit, but there's this thing called geography of thought. And what that means is the further West you go, the more individualistic and, and self-centred and disillusioned by choice and obsessed with self-esteem you get. The furthest west you can go on the map, technically, is California. I feel like California has a reputation for people who are potentially uh, obsessed with themselves or most definitely obsessed with themselves. And there are plenty stories from the fringes of American society that are quite shocking and, and Will touches on some of these in the books like there's a guy called uh, Smith Wigglesworth who was a healer and the whole idea with healers right they're, they're placebo you have to believe enough and, and somehow your body does it your brain's a powerful thing right um, but he once punched a man with stomach cancer in the stomach and the guy flatlined he also kicked a disabled little boy off the stage and injured him further. And if anyone complained, they just didn't believe enough. That whole idea that you just don't believe enough is so relevant to today because if people don't believe in themselves, people will say, you must just believe, 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 as if it's as simple as just turning this stuff on and off. Will went to the place called the Echelon Institute, and this is where people go to uncover their authentic selves and where they uncover what their core beliefs are and it's run by a bunch of people who essentially just got it wrong 
it was part of the human potential movement that was sort of started in the late 60s. And this is to get people to be their authentic self. There is no authentic self, by the way. There are too many contributing factors that go into personality for you to have this one thing that you are going to be for the rest of your life and for that to be your authentic self. So this Echelon Institute, it's still around today. You can go, you can book yourself in, you can go and you can find your human potential and you can find your authentic self. It was heavily influenced by Carl Rogers. Carl Rogers, he's uh, he's not like Freud. He believes that people are, are good and, and you should hold them in unconditional positive regard. And that just shows complete support and acceptance of a person, no matter what that person says or good does, right? I get that. I get empathy. I get people do bad things because bad things happen to them for the most part. But there is a limit to that, in my opinion. But lucky, I'm not a psychologist. But back to Echelon. Carl Rogers had a uh, a heavy influence on Echelon. That's why it's relevant. Will's time at Echelon was weird. It's very interesting to read about. And one thing that stuck out to me was throughout his time there, people would go onto stage and they would say who they were and they weren't allowed to attach like, oh, I feel sick. They'd have to stop attaching labels to their feelings. They would just have to talk about the sensation and they would just talk through whatever is bothering them. So one person wanted to talk to his father who wasn't good enough for him when he was younger and he... the facilitator of this event would say right put him in the crowd to so be looking at someone in the crowd and, and talking to them as if he was his father it all sounds a bit weird for me i don't think i'd go unless maybe i'm doing it for research purposes but i think will store's already written this book so there's no point in me trying to do it again but here is in this chapter another example of me finding will store quite endearing right he worries that he's just not a very nice person think that's a more common thought process than than most people would like to believe i think sometimes someone's talking and you just think fucking idiot and then all of a sudden you're berating yourself for thinking someone's an idiot because you think you're a bad person when really maybe you just think they're an idiot you don't have to attach to it you don't have to tell them you can get on with your day and not think that you're a bad person his experience at echelon and this is where i'm just going to be teasing you a little bit you should read about it because it is fascinating. I'm going to move on to the origins of this whole self-esteem obsessed world that we live in. Now, in the 1980s, there was a guy called John Vasconcellos, who was a governor of California. He had a pretty turbulent life and had been plagued with depression and, and various other mental disorders and, and, and illnesses that had kind of made his life quite difficult. He actually studied under Carl Rogers, or Carl Rogers was his like mentor. This is the guy with the unrelenting, unconditional, positive regard. He described Carl Rogers almost as his like second father, and together they kind of coined this idea that low self-esteem is the cause of all violent crimes, abuse, mental illness, child abuse, because this is the problem when you think your problem is, is universal, John Vasconcello's self-esteem was low. He raised it. His life got a little bit better. He then came up with a solution for the world to be healed by increasing their self-esteem. And we have to be very careful, these kind of people, who go through an experience and they think, oh my God, this is a fix for everyone. I'm pretty much one of those, right, with reading. But I'm not trying to say that reading's going to fix your, your mental health. I think it's positive for it. I think 
spending time off of tech and, and spending time reading books and educating yourself instills a sense of self-efficacy but for some people it won't for the most part people listening to this it will do you're interested you're curious in some sense but back to old wicked john basconcellos he tried to get into california this task force to raise people's self-esteem and it went into schools and kids in schools were given ideas saying like i'm a kid i am special um kids are being told they're special and they're amazing and kids would be chanting things like we are children we are special we are amazing that i mean i get it kids are pretty cool they're carefree they have fun they play they for the most part are quite cute they're not all special though and if we feed kids this idea we raise narcissists narcissism is on the rise all over the world specifically weirdly enough in america and weirdly enough, it started in California. He actually had a Californian university run some studies on self-esteem and the effects that high and low self-esteem have on people. He collected the data. He then hid some of the data that didn't support his ideas and ignored quite a bit of it. So this is a case. Correlation does not indicate causation. So he was just intent on people living out their authentic selves as long as their authentic self had high self-esteem, they're an extrovert, they're positive and they're kind. And he, this this lie that he, he has spread, that self-esteem is, is the be-all and end-all for a person's life, has spread throughout the world. And it has fucked people. There are people who are maybe like me, with a, with a tendency to be slightly neurotic, like Will Storr, whose self-esteem, we're just not going to get it to the point of, of an extrovert who thinks everything of themselves. It's not going to be possible to do that. There are genetic dispositions getting in the way. It doesn't make you a bad person for that. It's okay. What you think about yourself doesn't have to actually get in the way of your life, but you shouldn't break yourself for not being an extroverted, positive, kind individual. And the ironic thing is for someone who spoke so much about their authentic self, he actually died a gay man who never came out as gay. So he wasn't open to accepting himself as who he was, even though that was the message that he tried to spread. It's... It's not ideal. It doesn't make for good reading when you're like, well, that's had such a heavy influence on society and it was born from a lie. That's what makes this book so fascinating. He moves on from this special self. So if you if you have self-esteem issues and, and people are trying to tell you to raise your self-esteem and you're thinking, fuck off, blame John Vasconcellos. That's when we can go back to. So a bloke in the 80s in America has done his best at fucking the world. He moves on to the digital self. The digital self... We live in an age where narcissism is kind of rewarded. This extreme form of like self-love, and, and I wouldn't even say it was self-love, because if you love someone, you actually see them in the reality of who they are and, and accept them wholly as that. The whole narcissist thing is that they don't actually see themselves as who they are. So you went to neoliberal heaven, you went to Silicon Valley, met with some sort of like tech bros to kind of find out why... People are pushing themselves so much to contribute something to the world and, and where that stems from. And he came across quite a few interesting individuals, most of them tech bros. One of them was mining asteroids. That was his startup. That was his startup culture, was mining asteroids. So that at some point, we can have a civilization in space. Who comes up with that? It's just completely beyond me. But whilst he got to this this sort of hub of of narcissism and this tech bro paradise in in silicon valley 
he came across the story of a guy called Austin Hines. Now, Austin Hines was a pretty smart guy, borderline genius. And he came up with a way that you could 3D print DNA, meaning that you could put DNA into something else. He started off by putting the DNA of a glowworm into a shrub, which made a glowing bush. And this was revolutionary around the time. I think it was around 2014 that this happened. This guy was a genius. Like, he, he, he was revolutionary. People in Silicon Valley attached to him. He started to do, like, advice for startups. And he had gave some advice to a startup called Sweet Peach. And he ended up actually being an investor. And Sweet Peach, for some reason, their product was... I mean, whatever, for some reason. I don't care what people's reasons are for stuff. It's, it's, it's not my business. They started a business... And it was a woman that started this business, by the way, to make your vagina smell like peaches. Or it was a treatment for something that subsequently made your vagina smell like peaches. In an interview, he mentioned about his investment in this firm and that he owned 10% of the business. A lot of people on the internet and people who write articles, journalists, shame on the journalists, even though maybe I am a journalist, I don't know. They took it the complete wrong way and they painted him in this light that tech bro in Silicon Valley wants to change the way that our vaginas smell. He got absolutely hammered online. And this ideal perfectionist idea that he had built up of himself had been broken down. He was no longer this gift to the world. His, his self-esteem had then been shattered because the media went after him. He killed himself. Based off of, well, not only journalists misinterpreting information, but because the perfectionist ideal had broken down in his head. There was no way back for him in business. His business with the 3D printing of DNA, that went under. His only option in his mind was to end it all. That, we shouldn't be getting to that point. And we probably wouldn't be at that point where so many people were taking their own lives if this perfectionist idea wasn't a thing and if people weren't so quick to jump on someone. And especially with celebrities. For some reason, we think celebrities transcend humanity to just these things when actually they are people. And uh, I find it quite difficult, right? When someone does something... The internet explodes. Kanye West is a prime example. Like, Kanye West is, is he's probably mentally ill, right? And people just ignore that. People are like, yeah, he's crazy. It's like, I mean, you shouldn't really be saying that because he's actually got bipolar and, and, and this is sad. He actually needs help. It's, it's not that he needs people to be trolling him on the internet. He needs professional help. But because he's a celebrity, people are like, well, don't matter. He could read a comment and, and take it on board just as much as you could read a comment and take it on board. I'm sure you listening right now haven't ever mugged off Kanye West, but people do. I had an issue with this when Will Smith uh, came out with an interview where him and his wife had spoke about when she cheated on him. He was crying, which, like fair play, the moment that we as a culture see a man crying, we just jump on it. That's bullshit, man. I hate that because there was a long time when I couldn't cry in front of people without experiencing like extreme shame. That little 
snag in culture doesn't get fixed if every time a man is open about something or cries, people just take the piss with memes. Will Smith, still a person. I'm sure he's over it now, but at the time, seeing a meme of you crying, you're either going to have to very quickly see the funny side of it or you're going to be sad for a little bit, and, and that's not okay. Anyway, Austin Hines, he killed himself because of this whole perfectionist ideal. That's not okay. We need to we need to drop this. And when people fuck up, we need to be kind. We need to realise that it could have very easily been us who fucked up because we are human, right? So to stay alive, essentially, in, in the days of, of, of complete self-obsession, is you have to realise that there is no self, right? This story that we tell ourselves to make us feel better, like we, we have some personality, personality traits that kind of stick throughout life, but the whole idea of a self, it doesn't exist. It helps us create this meaningful story that we're the hero, but we're not. We we get kind of existential when you think about that. Like the, the self, this, this story you tell yourself about yourself does not exist. It's an illusion. We have to face reality. Like we are changeable beings. People can change. Um but we're not much better than an organism in a pond, right? Like, we share about 60% of the same DNA as a banana and 98% the same as pigs. Like, someone's literally just had a pig heart transplant into them. And, like, as a pig's heart in a human. We can't be that different. We are not that special. And Will Storr says this. He says, we're part nature, part nurture, Formed by biology, culture and experience, in a large part of our lives have been mapped for us before we've had a chance to exercise any form of control. And that just highlights, right, just how complicated we are as as beings. But my favourite quote from this book, before I leave you, hopefully with a thirst for more and hopefully to read this book because it is fucking brilliant. He says, here's the truth that no million-selling self-help book, famous motivational speaker, happiness guru or blockbusting Hollywood screenwriter seems to want you to know. You're limited, you're imperfect, and there is nothing you can do about it. There you go. Hopefully, that leaves you feeling pretty chipper for the rest of the day, because I know that I have a tendency to suck the joy out of things, but this is my philosophy on life. Become a little bit more neutral, and things somehow get all the better. I could be wrong, though. Don't forget that. I am imperfect, and I am limited. And really, what am I going to do about that? Nothing. I hope you've enjoyed this. Honestly, the book is one of the best I've ever read. I think dedicating your time to it, whether that's through Audible or reading the book, you'll be a transformed individual with the amount of knowledge that you have and the amount of conversations that I've had with friends who have been sad recently and drawn on the information from this book. It's been super helpful. So if you're not reading it for yourself, at least read it for the people around you, especially those younger ones who are just coming to the point where the innocence is gone and they're getting into society and they're kind of realising the harsh truth of life. Maybe information from this book would help them. So that is it from me. All of the information about sponsors, about signing up to the email list is in the description of this episode. There is a lot more interesting episodes coming up and good interviews as well. So, thank you very much for listening. You're absolute legends. Love you, bye.